This is Alex. And this is James. And you're listening to the American Toffee Podcast. Welcome to the show, everybody. Alex and I are here with you immediately following the nil-nil draw in the home side of the Merseyside Derby. A really, really exciting nil-nil draw. Alex, what's your initial takeaway from the match? Well, it came away feeling like I won the World Cup. Uh, <laughs> but uh, in, in reality, I think I think that it was a really, really good match. I think that we controlled the second half after letting or really slipping the first half and and my heart worked much too hard to try to grasp what was going on in front of me. So let's let's wind things back a little bit. Let's talk about uh 10:15 a.m. the lineup comes out. It is Schneiderlin retaining his place, it is Bernard replacing Richarlison and it is Kurt Zuma returning for Phil Jagielka Alex. Were you happy with that lineup? How are you? What were your thoughts? Well, I was driving back from DC, so I woke up hours prior trying to make it back in time for the match. I was almost home, and then I realized that I was a couple minutes past the lineup. Pulled it up at a stoplight, and actually I was not that surprised. I was cool to see Kurt Zuma come back in for Jagielka. No big issue. He offers more pace, obviously, at this point. In terms of Schneiderlin, not too surprised either, and that was okay. I mean, I was really just more hurt that Walcott started, but I don't know that I was surprised there. It's just something that continues to baffle all Evertonians. How does Theo Walcott retain his place week after week? And we've speculated at the answer. For me, it's just that we don't have any other true right winger in the squad. And so he kind of just gets in there by default. And you would hope on paper, like his pace, he'd be able to get in behind. Um, of course, that didn't materialize in any way. I thought he was horrible for the time he was on the pitch. <clears throat> and by the time he was replaced by Richarlison, um, he looked far, far better on that right-hand side, even though that's not his natural position. So yeah, the the Schneiderlin thing, okay, he keeps his place. We want to have two strong defensive midfielders sitting in front of the defense, make sure that Liverpool aren't able to attack with pace and hopefully, you know, break some of those things up. And Ghana did that extremely well. And he also did very well on the ball, had the highest passing percentage of any Everton player at 80%. To be fair, a lot of that was back passing, but it's hard. I don't think any player on our in our side had a particularly bad game. Except for Theo Walcott, right? Except for Theo Walcott, yes. It was it was really just a tale of two halves, but starting off, you know, we talked about it last week with watching from home on the NPC broadcast. They always, you know, they just keep talking about how quiet Goodison is. But you turned on NBCSN today and you heard chanting before you could even see the pitch you heard the siren as they were sit- standing in the tunnel right before z car started it was electrifying just sitting in my bedroom by myself totally agree <clears throat> the tony bellew uh that so for those that didn't know that version of z cars with the air horn siren whatever you want to call it was tony bellew's walkout music in his last fight and it looks like there are people when that fight was airing, like, oh, Everton need to use this, Everton need to use this. And it was the perfect time to pull it out right before the Merseyside Derby. And I heard that and I was like, oh, let's go. It's on now. And yeah, the crowd going absolutely bonkers from the the teams walking out and the atmosphere. It's hard to comment on when, you know, we're sitting at home in our living room, bedroom, whatever. 
but you could honestly like truly electrifying even from thousands of miles away. And that's the atmosphere that we need to have more consistently. And Marco Silva actually said it in his post-match, if we could get 70% of that every home game, then we're well on our way to getting victories because the, the crowd acts as, you know, a 12th man on the pitch. And you could see it too. You could see it. We started off the game pretty hot, you know. It was not quite, you know, a tale of either side was settling in, but it was just more so it was a battle. You could tell that they were working as hard as possible. They were going to leave everything out on the pitch. And that's exactly what they did. And what do you need early on in a Derby game? You need a crunching tackle. And we had a couple early on and the crowd that got the crowd even more into it really set the tone. Yeah, the early the first 10 minutes were just kind of frantic, typical of a Derby match to have kind of disjointed play, no real fluidity, no real um, rhythm to the whole thing. But then past that point, it started things started to settle and Liverpool looked to impose themselves and we looked fairly vulnerable at times. Uh, Mo Salah had a really good, two really good chances, one where he tried to curl one and then another one when he was you know, wide open on the break. And but, but beyond that, you know, we, we shut them down. Michael Keane had a couple of fantastic tackles. Luca Dean did a really good job keeping Salah contained. And they were not, to be fair to Liverpool, at their best today and at all. A lot of wayward passes. And I think though they sh- they shoulder some of the blame for that, I think our disruptive press and our p- style of play really kind of um, put them out of their rhythm as well as the the crowd. 100%. I think it was it was less of the fact that they that they weren't at their best and more even just the fact that we were hounding them all match the supporters were down their throats for over an hour for 90 straight minutes and it worked and and as marco silva said if we could even just get a certain percentage of that you know that energy week in week out then we are well on our way. Now, the thing is, though, is that the cl- the club, the players have to show the energy they showed today in order for the fans to reciprocate. Right. It's it's a classic chicken and the egg scenario. And, you know, is it the players that get the crowd going? Is it the crowd that get the supporters going? I think at the end of the day, like, or you, it really falls on the crowd to be from kickoff loud and and it's up to the players to keep the crowd going with their play. You know, if it's flat from the kickoff, there's not really much you can do. But if the crowd immediately are intimidating the opposition, A, they're nervous. It puts them on the back foot. And then the players have that slight marginal advantage to grab the first, you know, foothold on the game and, and get off to the to the start that was necessary. Wasn't quite the start that was necessary today, but then we kind of grew into the game and and they continued to look more and more disjointed as things went on. Yeah, I mean, in the first half, as we said, right, it was very much just battle for every single ball in the first 10, 15 minutes. And it seemed like we were kind of on the front foot. After that, we really just allowed them to kind of settle into a rhythm. We could create no such rhythm at all for ourselves. The issue, or one of the main issues that I saw in the first half really was distribution. So when we had the ball, when Pickford had the ball at his feet and he was ready to start play again, the issue was their two forwards would sit on our two center backs, okay? And then wingers would kind of sit on our fullbacks. We could not play it out of the back. So he was forced to go for a long ball. And yet Calvert-Lewin, you know, I mean, he could win a header, but then 
Walcott wouldn't run in behind or maybe one of the midfielders wouldn't be able to win the second ball and pass it forward. And then, you know, the other half times that, you know, Pickford went for a long ball, he kicked it out of bounds. So it was just really frustrating to watch us just essentially cycle possession out every single chance we had. And that was a huge thing that we needed to change in the second half. Yeah, it was really bad at times. A complete lack of inventiveness from our midfielders. Yes, Liverpool were pushing high, but there were times when, particularly Schneiderlin, I, I noticed this, would receive the ball in the middle, back, you know, facing the goal, facing Pickford, and wouldn't even turn. And if there's a player on your back, then of course you don't want to turn. But when there's nobody there, you have to turn and look at your options. And that was that's something that that Schneiderlin does very often, and it's one of his downfalls as a player. Whereas I think if you have Andre Gomez playing in that role, coming deep to receive the ball, he's always going to be looking to move the ball forward. Whereas Schneiderlin seemed content to just kind of go about his business defensively and not really do too much as far as getting the ball up. And so that was an area of frustration. And then Calvert-Lewin on Virgil van Dijk, that's just, that's asking a lot from a young player. Credit to him, van Dijk. He is probably one of the best defenders in Europe. It pains me to say, but he did not put a foot wrong today. He was immense for them, winning so many balls in the air, both in the Liverpool half and in our half on set pieces, made it really tough. But Calvert-Lewin was still able to win six aerials. There was just not much as far as the second ball going to any one of our players. Yeah, I thought Calvert-Lewin had a really, really good match, you know, all things considered. Going up against Van Dijk, as you said, he's always going to be out-muscled, unfortunately, but there were a couple times where he had a fantastic first touch and was able to get him on the turn. He also had some good layoffs, some really good layoffs. And nonetheless, you know, he might might have been beaten four times in a row in the air within the first 15 minutes. And guess what? For the next 75 minutes, he was jumping up full force every single chance he got and fought for it, whether he won them all or not. So... Regardless, you can't, you know, you can't hound any of these players for for lack of effort, but specifically Calvert-Lewin in terms of execution, really, he did a good job. And he's used to that kind of thankless task. And I think all of our forward players are of kind of just being a body up there to occupy the center backs because there's really not too much coming for them in the way of chances. Unfortunately, I thought that we were pretty uninventive in even playing long balls. It was consistently... Well, you know you're not going to play out wide left to Bernard because what's Bernard going to win in the air? Absolutely nothing. So you're left with moving Calvert-Lewin over to the right with Theo Walcott and hoping to create some sort of mismatch, um, overload that side, and and maybe win a ball in the air. It was just repeated, repeated, repeated long balls to that channel, and nothing was really coming from it. And then we would try to play through the middle, and it was like we couldn't string a pass together Anything we tried to do that was more than 10 yards was going straight to a Liverpool player. And so then at that point, you kind of go back to the drawing board and you're like, okay, well, what what can we do well? And that came down to building up play on the wings. Once Richarlison came on in the second half, really, really nice back and forth with Seamus Coleman. They made created a couple really good chances. It's like Richarlison comes on and all of a sudden we're getting foul calls that we haven't been getting all game. It really was. It came down to, and this is what I mentioned, you know, midweek and what a lot of people seem to be deranged about this was a masterclass from Marco Silva at halftime 
ironing out the kinks, right? He took note of all the issues and he made adjustments. And what happened? We pretty much controlled the entire second half. And and whether that was crisp, clean passing and, and, and clear cut chances, no, but that's not the point, right? The point is that we built momentum. We got stuck in. It was, it was no change in, in energy levels, nothing. It was just minor tweaks here and there. It was, you know, and where, where your midfielders are going to be placed and bringing on Richarlison obviously helps a lot. But at the end of the day, he showed that he can be flexible when it comes to tactics. And I thought that he deserves a lot of praise for that. Yeah. And he deserves a lot of credit for getting this team back to, you know, this has kind of come full circle now from the last Derby the gut-wrenching loss to now and, and the subsequent atrocious form to now playing what really was a similarly even game. Of course, the first one would have been f- completely fair to end nil-nil. This one did end nil-nil, and that was entirely deserved. I thought we had chances that we probably could have put away, but nothing really all that great. Really, our best chance was probably the free kick on the edge of the box that I believe was Dean just hit over everyone. That one had me uh, jumping up and down in frustration. But yeah, it's nice to see the fight back in the team, the desire in a massive game. And again, the crowd, I think, had a lot to do with it. Hopefully, this is a step in the right direction, a building block, and we can now go on a more positive post-Darby run of form than the last uh, last aftermath. And here's the even more important point. This is This is my main takeaway. No one in their right mind or sober (laughs) can say that the players are not playing for our manager, Marco Silva. And that is that is the most important thing that you can take away from this, because you see it with everyone else. You saw with, you know, everyone else, meaning other managers, you saw with Mourinho, right? Like they they just hated playing for Mourinho, hated his tactics, you know, hated how how he attempted man management. but. Our players believe in Marco Silva. They've showed you now the last two matches in a row after they got, you know, a couple weeks of a mental and physical break. And so from this point forward, it just becomes essentially trying players in different positions seeing and, and seeing what you have. Speaking of trying, you know, players in different positions and seeing what you have, once again, Lookman did not make the 18. What do you think about that, James? Well, we mentioned this in our pre-match in... Every fan at this point is crying out for anything that's not Theo Walcott, and we're just not getting it. And, and it's very baffling because there's been no word of an injury, so you have to assume there's something going on behind the scenes. Radio silent on that front, so I don't know. I think this would have been the type of game where he could have really given Liverpool a lot of problems on that wing because of his ability on the ball that Walcott just does not have. Um, so it's just a red flag and. I texted you this when we were uh, talking during the game. Like, I think he's going to be gone in the summer. I just, if we've given him another season and he's managed, what, three starts? Like, that's just not good enough. And whether it's down to his attitude or just not, Marco Silva not seeing the quality, not thinking he deserves a spot, it's concerning. And I, I'm, at this point, I'm kind of just resigned to losing him in the summer. And I think I agree with you. It just, at this point, in my mind, it doesn't matter, and a lot of people might think I'm ignorant for saying that, but if you can tell me with a straight face that in the next year or two, Lookman would be a better player than Richarlison or Bernard, 
then I'd tell you that you should probably be in the loony bin at that point, you know? And so with that being said, it just comes down to the fact that he just timing's not right. If it was, if we, it was a couple years ago and he was performing or if he was this, you know, if he had this much experience a couple years ago and he was uh, competing with Kevin Morales and Tom Cleverly on, on the left wing, then he probably would have quite a few more appearances in the, in a blue shirt. But at the moment he's competing against Bernard and Richarlison. Uh, he can't hack it on the right hand side, but you know, bringing it back full circle to the, to the match, to the Derby today, Richarlison actually showed us for the first time that maybe he can hack it on the right hand side. Yeah. I didn't think he looked completely comfortable. I think he got into some good spaces. He had some, channels to run into but then when he was finally on the ball you could tell that it was kind of awkward for him because generally he wants to cut inside to his right foot but then if he was trying to cut inside it would obviously be onto his left which is not uh his best foot and so he was tended to try to just kind of do a lot of little flicks around players which worked actually quite well he got robertson uh caught out a couple of times it's not something that i I'm opposed to seeing for the rest of the year. If we could go Walcott or not Walcott, sorry, Richarlison on the right, Calvert Lewin or Chenktosin, who I thought worked really hard when he came on and almost had an excellent chance to score. And then Bernard on the left. That's a front three that I think most Evertonians would feel fairly confident with. I would for sure. You know, I thought I think someone we haven't mentioned that had a really good game too is is Gilfie Sigurdsson. Now, to be fair, we could really highlight pretty much the entire team for having a good match. But Sigurdsson, I think, worked the hardest out of anyone. His stamina, like his ability to just eat yards of space over an extended period of time is ridiculous. Ghana is the same way, but it's it's insane. You know, it's it's more highlighted, I think, when when the opposition have have more possession and you know Sigurdsson is busy pressing yeah I really thought of course work rate is really like the first the lowest bar you can set like you would expect every player wearing the shirt to put in a shift every time they're on the field but he goes above and beyond with his work rate and even you know he, he knows he's not going to get subbed and so he has to kind of pace himself for the full 90 minutes but the whole match, he is just running relentlessly and combine that with the fact that he may be our best technical midfielder. He had five successful dribbles today, had some really neat footwork and tight spaces to get free. Unfortunately, the passing off of that never really materialized, but the fact that he was getting stick and people were saying that he should not be in the team just a couple games ago, the last two performances have shown he is a very, very important player to us, arguably our most important player in midfield. Um, but another player who I thought, who also has been getting a lot of stick this season from us and from a lot of fans, Seamus Coleman, I thought he was magnificent today. He was. I mean, he got worked by Rigi a couple of times, and I think that's just based on you know, strength, not necessarily pace. And one thing I really wanted to highlight for Seamus is he showed, you know, the pace of old Seamus Coleman, or let me let me rephrase that, younger Seamus Coleman, uh, which I thought was awesome to see because he really looks like he lost a step and a half since coming back. But today, you know, he led by example. He had some really good interplay with with specifically Richarlison, and 
you know, you can't you can't fault him. He essentially covered that right hand side of the pitch the entire match. He was great, and also, of course, Michael Keane, who is seems to be the favorite for man of the match, was fantastic as well. That sliding tackle to prevent Salah from having an easy goal, some really nicely won aerial uh, duels, and just looked really assured for most of the match, even on the ball. A couple wayward passes, but really solid for Michael Keane. What just a 180 he's done since last season when people were wondering why we paid $30 billion for him. At this point, I, he looks to be worth every cent. And then Luca Dean, our whole back line, you could give a ton of credit, and they deserve it. Luca Dean also made a couple of really important. Uh, he had that one flick in the box for a header that was looking like it was going to fall right to a Liverpool player. Pops it up in the air so that Zuma can get his head on it and get it out of danger. Kept Sala contained for most of the match. They never their front three has been an issue for Liverpool fans their drop-off in form since last season, and we helped continue that today by not giving them much, especially on the break, which we know Everton this year have been extremely vulnerable. Yeah, we found ourselves in, in, in quite a few situations on the break in which they just had the numbers moving forward, and it really did. It just took, essentially, who wants that ball more? And luckily for us, most of the time, it was a boy in the blue shirt, but... You know, something that, that that baffles my mind, not to take the focus off of Everton, but I don't know how anyone can say that Salah is is world class by any stretch of, of the definition. Well, he's had he had a world class season last year. I don't want to make this about dumping on Liverpool as much as I enjoy to do it. They this is probably one of their weaker games this season, and we talked about it why Klopp felt it necessary to blame the wind in his post-game interview, which is classic, uh, just BS from Klopp and excuse-making. There were a couple of moments where Mo Salah had a neat little turn and a dribble and got into space, but he also had two really good chances to score. And so far, I believe he has not scored against any of the quote-unquote big clubs this year, and he hasn't scored against us. So you can lump us in with that. Or actually, I saw a tweet that said we are the third team to hold Liverpool to zero goals, the other two being City and Manchester United. So amongst good company in that regard. And look, I take Mo Salah. If he hadn't been on Liverpool, I take him on our team. He's a very, very good player. But I think people, because of how extraordinary last season was, were a little bit quick to pull the world-class card. Well said. And, and and along the lines of Jurgen Klopp, I know I saw it at, at the end of the match and then found it on Twitter, but he got really, really bothered by one of the Everton ball boys sarcastically clapping and, and, and saying something to him as he walked out. I'd love to get a lip read on whatever that kid was saying. Just the petty, like, sarcastic golf clap. And then to do it, you know, I don't know. He must have yelled something to get Klopp's attention and then Klopp looks and goes over and kind of berates him. Couldn't get a lip read on that either, but it's beautiful. It's everything that you would love to see from Everton, the pettiness. I love it. I'm eating it up. And although I'm beyond happy with the one point, it still feels like we had a couple really good chances to put that one away and take all three, which would have been even sweeter. Of course, Alex, you and I have yet to see, as Everton fans, them beat Liverpool. I saw we haven't scored um, 
at an at home derby since 2015 when Rom scored against them. So I'd like to see that streak broken perhaps next season because now we've wrapped up essentially what was our remaining biggest match, our quote unquote World Cup. So now it's kind of just cruise, keep the form up. If we can play the way we played today for the rest of the year, we can certainly contend for the seven spot. A hundred percent. I mean, it's it's a stretch, but it's there for the taking. If if they can show the desire that they showed today, then nothing is out of reach. We have some really tough games, but we have some very, very winnable games, like the one coming up next week against Newcastle, which you know we'll preview midweek. But at the end of the day, as I keep saying over and over again, it's all about figuring out what you have, working a lot more with the young players, which which we've been doing, but, you know, I would say that John Joe Kenny, you know, Tom Davies, they haven't warranted a starting spot over a lot of the guys that we've been seeing in, in, in recent weeks, specifically after the break, because, you know, you come back, they got a rest and it comes, it gets back to an even playing field. And, and speaking of not, not to continue to hit on Walcott, but I saw a tweet, which is pretty funny. and, And it essentially said, Theo Walcott must be, Aryan Robin in training because he just cannot get dropped. <laughs> yeah, he's like Aryan Robin, except instead of having a unbelievable left foot, he just has two terrible ones. And basically, Aryan Robin without any of the good qualities of Aryan. Yeah, he Robin. can't even he can't even looking die f- for a penalty neither. Right. Looking for looking forward to this summer when fingers crossed we're able to sign a true right wing and perhaps move Theo Walcott on to greener pastures elsewhere because. If we start next season and the first first match day, Walcott is on the team sheet, I don't know what I'm going to do, but my reaction will not be very pretty because he is overstayed his welcome, in my opinion. Good guy, seems like a good teammate and all of that, but it's now going on 20-plus games with no end product whatsoever, and I'm just about done because it limits what we can do, the balance of our team, and then we're left funneling everything down the left, and there's just no balance there. So that's just my thoughts. No hate intended to Theo Walcott. He did great for us last season, but I just think his time's up. All right, James. So to wrap things up, give me your man of the match. I'm going to have to go with Luca Dean, which isn't probably the popular choice. I haven't really seen many people shouting him out, but I thought he was really, really solid on the ball, keeping solid contained, even in the box, just his awareness overall positionally was fantastic. So he gets my man of the match. He continues a unbelievably good season for us and continues to be a front runner, in my opinion, for our player of the season. You know, before I give you mine, I sat there the other day, just completely un- unrelated. And I laughed out loud at the thought that while we were, you know, looking for left backs in the last year and a half or so, we actually had legitimate links to to players like Patrick Van Anholt at Crystal Palace and thought that he would be the best realistic pickup for our team. But, you know, it was a huge coup signing Luca Dean and and I can't wait to see what he's able to achieve with us. In terms of my man of the match, I'm going to have to go with the popular choice, Michael Keane, because, you know, it's really easy to pick out the highlights, but, you know, you could have picked out the highlight where Jordan Pickford made the ridiculous save on Salah in the first half, 1v1. And Pickford didn't really put a foot wrong either. So 
you know, he it's 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 really just about the fact that Michael Keane did everything right and then some, right? When you when you're th- when you're talking about defenders, specifically your central defenders, you think about Kurt Zuma, nothing stands out for you, and that's what you want from your defenders. And so if Kurt Zuma did a great job by not standing out, by not sticking out in your mind, Michael Keane did a ridiculously good job at the center of defense because he was able to put in a couple crucial t- tackles. He was assured on the ball, made the right decision, decisions whether to pass it long, you know, go to Coleman, pass it back to Jordan Pickford. So overall, Mike, Michael Keenan, and I hope that he continues his good form into next season as well. I wholeheartedly agree with that, Alex. Well, everybody, that's going to do it for us today. Uh, we hope that you're all as satisfied with that one point as we are. Keep an eye out for our Newcastle pre-match coming Wednesday. Um, and also check out our Twitter account. We've got a giveaway going if you guys listen to the Jonathan Clegg interview. If you haven't, first go check it out because it was really good and it's not time sensitive. So encourage you all to check it out. But we're also giving away a copy of his book, The Club, which is a amazing book that if you are a fan of the Premier League, you certainly want to read. We're doing a Twitter giveaway, so be sure to check it out. Um, and if until Wednesday, I guess we'll we'll talk to you guys then. Thanks for tuning in to the American Toffee Podcast. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at USA Toffee Pod to stay up to date on the latest episode releases and Everton news. And we'll see you guys next time.